Welcome to the Live Like Jesus podcast. This is episode eight. Today we are talking about faith in the classroom. How do we think about being a public Christian when it comes to the realm of education? This, of course, is a perennial question and uh, waxes and wanes according to the news cycles of the day. In fact, there's been kind of a, a news cycle that's come up recently, a Supreme Court case, perhaps, that you heard about, uh, about the uh, coach who was praying on the fields um, after a football game in the state of Washington. Uh, Supreme Court ruled that he could do that. It was a six to three ruling that he had the uh, right to do that. The opponents and the decision said it would open the door to much more what they said was coercive prayer in public schools. So just the latest example of a situation in which um, faith in the classroom has led to some contention, some controversy. So how do we think about this as Christians? You know, on one hand, You've got uh, this idea that there's government policy driven by a specific theological worldview, which opponents say is theocratic. And on the other hand, you have this kind of idea, which I think is a myth, really, that you can create an environment that's kind of uh, free from ultimate questions of values. And I say the word myth because values come from questions about ultimate things. And ultimate things, of course, lead us to questions about God. So, so there's the rub. There's no such thing as a values-free zone. And so how are we to think about this uh, when we are talking about public education? And today, our guest, we are very excited about this special guest, Dr. John Eckert. John is the Linda and Robert Koppel Chair for Christians in School Leadership, Professor of Educational Leadership at Baylor University, formerly at the U.S. Department of Education, where he worked in both the Bush and the Obama administrations. And I can't think of anyone better to have this conversation with. John, join us here. We are so glad you're with us today. Great to be with you, Len. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you work? end up working at both Bush and Obama administrations and then go from there to Baylor? That's quite a story. Yes. So this is my 27th year in education, spent uh, 12 years teaching outside of Chicago and Nashville, did my doctoral work at Vanderbilt. And from there, I went to the U.S. Department of Ed as a teaching fellow to try to work on reauthorizing some federal policy to make it more useful in the classroom. And then from there, I went into higher ed, went to Wheaton College for 10 years and prepared teachers there. And then I've been now at Baylor for four years, uh, where my work is really centered on a lot of what you just set up in the beginning of the podcast around how to be that kind of Christian educator that loves mm. kids well, that leads well, that leans on the truth, finds my identity in a place that's solid. And so I've been really grateful to be in the roles that I've been able to be in. Uh, certainly can talk more about any of those places where I've been able to serve, but it's been a huge blessing to do this, to have meaningful work every day. Um, in the profession that I always like to say, it's the profession that makes all others possible. Mm. Uh, so it's always good work. And when we're grounded in truth, it's even better work. I love that. My wife's an educator. I resonate with what you're saying there. So talk more. So you, you said you're preparing teachers. Uh, help our listeners understand what that looks like in your current context. 
Yeah. So now I'm in educational leadership. So we take people who are educators and want to take that next step into leadership. They might want to become principals. They might want to become division heads. Uh, we also work with people that are aspiring superintendents in our doctoral program. Uh, and we come alongside them to help them do the good work they're doing better. So we like to think of ourselves as catalysts. In ca I was a middle school science teacher for a while. And so nice. a, catal a catalyst is a substance that uh, accelerates a reaction, is not the focus of the reaction, but is not used up in the reaction. So when we come alongside and help educators spread their influence and become stronger leaders, we want to accelerate the good work that's out there. There's a lot of stuff in the news about the things that aren't working in schools, but having worked with you know, hundreds of schools across the country and in other countries, there are a lot of really good things happening in education that are being led by Christians in all different kinds of schools, regardless of where they're called. That work is being led by people that really find their identity in Christ, love kids well, help those kids become all they're created to be because they're catalysts for those students. And mm -hmm. so that's where, that's how we see our work uh, at, at Baylor. I love that. That image of a catalyst is a powerful metaphor. Um, you told me in our setup call that your, your students, your graduates are about half and half with public and private. Is that right? That's right. So currently there are 57 students in our master's program. It's the biggest master's program at the school of ed at Baylor. And we just started in 2021 so there's clearly a, a wow. need to ground preparation in something more than what's in the system right now where you're basing your worth on your performance uh we base our worth on the fact that we are created beings that reflect god's glory in the way we do our work with our students and with the leaders that we lead alongside and so of those 57 uh students i believe it breaks down 30 27 30 public 27 independent schools largely Christian schools in that mix. And we love the cross-pollination that happens because there's good things happening in all different kinds of schools. And mm -hmm. when you ground that all in real truth, you don't have to worry about different perspectives. You can embrace those perspectives, interrogate them against the truth of the scripture, say, hey, this works. This is the kind of servant leadership that we want. And this kind of work catalyzes work across schools. So that's the way we break down currently in our program. John, talk to us, especially about the 30 who are working in public settings and contexts. I'm really curious, you know, there's kind of this perception perhaps that exists, especially those who may not be in education, that you have to check your faith at the door for eight hours a day, you know, and you go in and, you, and you're trying to create kind of this values-free zone. Um, how do your public educators uh, deal with this? How do they How do they talk about it? Is that perception right, wrong, or, or somewhere in between? And Len, you, you know this, things vary widely across the United States and how that message is given to educators. And mm -hmm. Texas is certainly not every state in the country. I, I want right. to say that first. But I do want to be clear that legally, and you, you did this in your setup, there is no such thing as a value-free anything. You can't have value-free laws. You can't have value-free policy. You can't have value-free organizations. Uh, so that's a idea that has no merit. It just, it can't exist. And, right. and nor would we actually want that, I would argue. But so schools are open forums. Public schools are open forums where all kids are welcome. All different faith backgrounds are welcome. And that's where I feel like teachers of faith are great ambassadors for that kind of 
a, a system where we welcome all these things in. We don't check them at the door and not do it, do any of these things. Like we can have amazing conversations about the way different cultures, different religions celebrate different holidays mm-hmm. that can make for really rich, uh, elevating conversations that help educators see each student because denying your faith background, the, the, the religions that your children are bringing in, that makes it so you're blinding yourself to seeing whole human beings. And so right. why we would do that is a way of saying we're value free. It, it just doesn't make sense because it's eliminating that human connection that really is the spark between souls that makes teaching the rich profession that it is. And so denying that's not helpful. So certainly as Christians, you're not there to proselytize students in public schools. I mean, there, there's always, there are lines always, but if you're loving students well, that means you're a great teacher first. Uh, you're going to give them what they need to grow. You're going to do that in a way that allows them to flourish. And they're going to see the heart behind that. And as a middle school teacher and as a college professor, I certainly have told students, like, this is this is what I believe and this is why I care about you. And I've never had an issue there. Now, obviously, in different school settings, that can play out differently, especially the younger the student is. There's more protection there because the teacher has more authority in that classroom. But having taught intermediate and middle grades and college students, um, I've been able to be very direct and upfront. And when I work with adults, I, I I say that all the time. This is where my starting point is. Mm. And I think that's what an open forum is all about. I want to hear where your starting point is and you can hear where mine is and then we can find truth together. I love that open forum. So maybe a contra- or concept that was not controversial when we were young and coming up, but it seems to be a bit more controversial now than it was at one time. Uh, you know, as, I, as I hear you talk and I love what you're saying, I'm thinking about the etymology of the word religion itself. It's got that word lig in there, which is the same root that gives us the word ligaments. And it's the connective tissue of our body, not not individual, just individual bodies, but our sense of community, right? Sense of ultimate. So raising the idea of religion away from a specific codified set of rules to uh, questions of ultimate meaning um, which really that's what theology did for years and years in the public square. Theology used to be called the queen of the sciences because it was ultimate. It was above science, empirical science, because of questions of ultimate value, which is what we're talking about right here, right? The sense of ultimate uh, value that comes in this open forum. Yeah, I think we can even elevate this even beyond the classroom. So I've had this conversation with people. If if we don't believe that there is absolute truth, that makes research equivalent to advocacy. Mm. Because if you your truth is equivalent to my truth and I'm doing research, all I'm trying to do is bolster my truth so that you're more convinced of my truth. We're not actually getting to truth. Right. Uh, as opposed to the Augustinian principle that all truth is God's truth. And as we pursue truth, we're getting closer to understanding how the world was created our place in it, the the separation between creator and created. I feel like that is what animates my research. That's what animates my study. I honestly don't understand the postmodern perspective on truth when it comes to teaching or research, because it 
to me, it begs the question, what's the point if it's just advocating for your position that you already have, where I want to experience a range of perspectives because they don't frighten me. I want to hear from Hindus and Muslims and atheists and Christians, and I want us to be able to have these rich conversations that get us closer to truth, because to me, that's what learning's about, and that's a lot of what being human's about, and so I love that you went to the part of the word religion that does tile that together because for us that's true i think it's just not to your point where we've moved as a culture that's not the starting point for a lot of people but that doesn't mean that it can't still be a rich conversation it, it's almost like as an educator you have to take a step back and re-educate about the basis for learning itself whereas that maybe was understood you know once before i mean you just described i love this idea of advocacy but that's kind of anathema to learning, isn't it? If you're saying there's no such truth and I'm advocate, I'd say I already have my position. Yeah, what's the point? And so then you're just digging your heels in on the position, which may be very close to the truth, actually, but you wouldn't know because you don't actually believe there is a absolute truth to be known. It's just, this is my truth. And so now I'm going to learn more that bolsters my truth, where I think as Christians, we should be great advocates for pursuing the truth. And as we are scientists and historians and writers and readers, that we do that in a way that allows us to be all that we were created to be and using the minds we were given to better understand the created order and how all of this works in a, in a meaningful, life-giving way. Mm. I love that, John. Plug in my book for a second. I've got a book coming out in a couple of weeks with Leonard Swee on Telos, and it's uh, at the middle of the book. We go through all these different philosophical positions that are that are the basis for some of the arguments in our culture now, and we talk about this whole "your truth, my truth," which are phrases we detest, and kind of come to conclusion and say, "Hey, the truth." Jesus says, "I am the truth." All right, so the truth is the person of Jesus Christ, which is. Very different claim than this idea that there's no such thing as a quote-unquote objective truth. Well, and I would add to that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like, there's this, like, really solid foundation there that when we root ourselves there, we are in a great position to teach because if we know that's where our identity is and because Christ has called us his own and that's who we are, we can lean into that in a way that allows us to not be swayed by self-doubt, other people's perspectives that may not line up with ours, or performance that we aren't going to measure up to someone else's standard. Uh, we, we can root ourselves there because that's the life-giving call of Christ. And so, I, yeah, I love that. I, and the book sounds like you're hitting on some pretty important topics, especially for right now. Let's talk a bit about the perspective of parents. So we've kind of been here in some lofty space a little bit, talking ph philosophically. Let's bring this down to some very kind of basic questions. Um, you, I, you've told me this and I've forgotten, but you've got kids, John? Yes, I have a sophomore at Baylor and a junior and freshman in high school. Okay, so I've got a two in college, a senior and a freshman in high school. So we're in the same spot. And now we've got folks coming up behind us, right? Millennials having kids and and slightly different changes in culture over the last 10 to 15 years. If you were starting today versus starting 15 years ago, you know, it's kind of this question of what what kind of education do I pursue for my kids? 
uh, public versus private. I mean, do you have an opinion about that? How do you advise people? How do you think about that now in your position? Well, the great thing about being a parent is you know your kids better than anyone else. And so it's finding the right fit. And they might be homeschooling. They might be a Christian school. That might be a magnet school. It might be a charter school. It might be a traditional public school. But I think it's finding the right fit for each kid. I know a lot of friends, our, our kids have all uh, have had a followed a roughly similar educational trajectory, but they have three different school types for three different kids. And mm. so to me, that's the joy and challenge of parenting. It's infinitely interesting, but also really hard. And you second guess yourself, like if I would have made this choice for my kid, how would this been? But to me, I don't think there is one right choice for each because each kid is each kid. And that's that's the beauty of what we get to do as parents as, as well as teachers. I've noticed this has really come up more in the last two to three years. I'd love to get your thoughts about this. It seems like for people who aren't currently in the system, perhaps they don't have they're not parents of students in, in the school system right now. Um, this, this is I've seen this with my my parents who as grandparents are asking, but they're disconnected to education. There's kind of this maybe media based fear to some degree about what's happening in the educational system. But you said at the top of the show that there's all kinds of great things happening when it comes to uh, this question of faith in the classroom. Uh, I'd love to hear you give some encouragement or some insight, perhaps to someone who's been a little bit persuaded by these kind of negative stories about what's happening in the classroom. Sure. I'll get, I have two books. One just came out this fall and then one comes out in January that I can give you examples from. The first one looked at 11 different Christian school sites around the country. It's called Future Ready, uh, looking at sustainability uh, and innovation and accessibility in schools that Christian schools are meeting a wider demand for different kinds of students with various learning needs. And they're making themselves more relevant for uh, others for schools to for students today. And so there are some amazing things happening. There. I'll give you one example from that book, Hope Academy in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's 14 blocks from the George Floyd incident. It's mm. in a, a renovated old hospital building. So it's not what you would think of as a traditional school building, but it's in a neighborhood with a hundred different languages that are spoken. And when you walk in those doors, the joy that you feel from the kids there that when we were there last fall, they were going out, it was about 40 degrees outside, but they were going out for a house feast. Each of them are in a house, kind of a Hogwarts style house, but they're named yep. after like giants of the faith. And they're going out and they're having a, uh, a feast of all the different foods coming in from the neighborhood. And it was cold, but it was just, there was this joyous, like, we are a community. We share food together. We share different cultures through food. And it's 14 blocks from one of the most tragic events of the last, you know, 10 years. Uh, and, and there it is. And there's this hope. And it's this joyful place where kids are getting an amazing education because donors give 90 percent of the tuition that covers that for uh, students. It's connected to John Piper's uh, church, the, the Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. And they fund at 90% of tuition and they have 400 families that partner to get students there that do, don't have to pay full freight. So that's one super encouraging uh, thing. Wow. Give me another example from our master's program. They finished their um, work in a capstone presentation and all of our work kind of focuses on the second book that comes out in January called Just Teaching 
feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student because mm. we teach for justice and we do this for each kid. And we do this in a way that simplifies teaching when we just focus on those three things. So they share the work they've done over the last year and a half in their schools. They take three performance tasks and they say, hey, here are how things are different at my school because of the work that, that I have done. And uh, I'll give you this example. Um, one of the teachers, she taught in four different schools in three years because she's married to a military um, a military guy. And she'd been in public schools and private schools. And in the last school she was in, her, her, the teachers in the building had never really participated in professional learning communities where they're working together to solve small problems that they can address as a team mm -hmm. in their school. And so she implemented this in this very humble Christian way, like, hey, here's an idea. What if we try this? And they started with a small group and then other people saw like, hey, could we do that too? And then it grew and expanded. And she left because her husband got stationed in Germany. And so she left the school but before she left, the principal asked her to set up a schedule that would allow that to happen for all the teachers so that they could learn together in this kind of vulnerable, humble way of making improvements. And so she left to go to Germany, but that school has implemented that schedule and those professional learning communities continue because that wow. Christian teacher led as a peer. And even as she's left, the work continues, which to me is the sign of a great leader. Wow. That's great, John. I love those stories. And what would that book that you mentioned, would that be helpful for folks? What was the title of that book again? Yeah. So the two books, the first one was Future Ready. That's this one here. I just okay. I have a whole box one that was done in partnership with Cardis and ACSI. Lynn Swanner, Eric Ellison, and Matt Lee co-authored that. And the one that comes out in January, I just have the draft copy is Just Teaching, Feedback, Engagement, and Well-Being for each student. So those are the books that'll be out. And they're just full of hopeful stories from around the country of great things happening in schools. Let's stay on this encouragement idea for a minute and focus on this question of parenting. If you're making the choice right now, or maybe you've already made the choice to put your kids through public education, what's some encouragement that you could provide parents about the best way for them to support their their kids' teachers to interact with the system in ways that that you make, make them feel good about the values that are happening. Yeah, and I don't want to be trite, but you've got to cover your kids in prayer. You've got to cover their teachers and leaders in prayer, the, the administrators that are there. Um, we've been blessed to have a lot of Christian teachers in the public schools that our kids have been in. And so I know that that's not the case everywhere, but those people are doing amazing work. And 85% of the kids in our country are in public schools. Mm. So as Christians, I don't, you know, obviously you need to make the best choice for your family based on where you live and, and what your kids need. So we absolutely love Christian schools and support them as much as we can uh, through the Center for School Leadership at Baylor. But as a parent, we've been able to navigate that pretty well because we've had a lot of Christian teachers and coaches that have influenced our kids. And we've been so grateful for that. In fact, the Just Teaching book is dedicated. My three kids picked three teachers who oh, were those Just nice. Teachers for them, and that's who it's dedicated to. Um, and so they've had easy examples of Christian faith played out in public schools. So I know not everybody has that, so I realize that's a huge blessing. But when things come up that are taught that don't align with what we believe is truth, we have the opportunity to have that conversation at home. And so what I always marvel at, we have a lot of friends who send their kids to Christian schools, K through 12, and then they send them off to 
big state universities right. or super secular situation that are that are going to indoctrinate in ways that probably don't align with what you would value as a family. And yes. then they're on their own to figure it out on their own. And there's no there's no conversation over the dinner table. There's none of that. So for us, it's been we have dinner together. We always break down what happened that day. Interesting conversations ensue frequently. And every night we try to have family worship where we read the scripture, we pray and we sing a hymn or a praise song together. And it's a way to just kind of check like, hey, what's what's most important? Because we don't fear the different perspectives that they might get hit with in public schools, as long as we're there with the Holy Spirit actively in them and in us, kind of centering them on what matters most. And so wow. I feel like that's been a good, that's worked for us so far now. We have a 14 year old, so we still have four more years of, uh, <laughs> of school, but so far that seems to be working for us. And that's not gonna necessarily work for everyone, but that's that's given the blessing of the teachers and the administrators they've had, it's worked well for us. So to summarize what I'm hearing from you, John, uh, cover the teachers, administrators in prayer, Stay actively involved as parents. Use controversial topics as opportunities for learning at home. Absolutely right. And make sure we're staying centered as faithful believers where we're not getting off on things that are not not critical, you know, that that, that we don't have to get all fired, worked up about. Like, right. keep the main things the main things. So if you've made the choice to, uh, say, uh, homeschool your kids or put your kids in private school, there's kind of an opposite danger there, perhaps, of not being involved in the public square. Um, what would you say to parents in that situation, how to encourage them and as they're forming their kids' value systems in ways that are going to prepare them for adulthood? Right. I, and, and we've seen this over and over again. We work with some amazing Christian schools around the country, and the schools themselves are doing a pretty good job keeping them connected to their communities, not giving back to the communities, because sometimes that has a negative like oh we have so much we're going to give something back it's like no right let's build our community together so being involved in your community as a school so christian schools can be a great testimony hope in minneapolis great example that is a beacon in that neighborhood of an engaged school that is a christian school and it is uh, unapologetically so in it, but it's a great ambassador for Christ in that. And it's connecting those students to the community as parents. If you have a school that isn't doing that, or you're a homeschool parent, there are all kinds of ways you can serve together. And honestly, you have all kinds of latitude to do that. So don't use it as a batten down the hatches. Let's stay away from society. Let's ground ourselves in truth. Let God's grace and love flow through us to others. And let's do that together as a family, or let's do that together as a class, or let's come alongside the school and say, hey, how do we serve this community that we're in? And so I think there's no reason why if you're homeschooling or you're at a Christian school that you can't be fully engaged in that public square. I think the concern for a lot of parents is in kindergarten, are things being taught to my kid that are going to shape them in ways that I don't believe are the way we want to go. So then they they will go into a Christian school where they know the values align. But that doesn't mean that we don't engage with the public sphere. And so maybe you're ready to go off to college and engage. And so you go to a place that's going to hit you with anti-Christian, that the Christianity is not a thoughtful thing or doesn't square with what rational people 
uh, believe should be done. And they're ready for it because they've been prepared through their school, through homeschooling, or through their engagement with the community. But in the end, I think the call is the same, whether you're public school, homeschool, private school parents, engage your community, love others well, and don't let your kids grow up afraid of others because that othering is what perpetuates some of the tension and toxicity that's in culture right now. Oh, this is great stuff, John. I love what you're saying. As you're talking, I was thinking about the uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote about staying in the arena. I've got that quote in my, my son's room. <laughs> my yeah, house. Far better it is to dare mighty things to win glorious triumphs than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they neither, they, no, neither they know neither victory nor defeat. I had every student that I had for 12 years, they had to memorize that quote and say it in front of the class. Wow. Um, so I am I'm all in with you on that. And that was not planned, Len. So <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Very good. But that's it, isn't it? As parents, I mean, it, just throughout life, right? You can't you can't leave the arena. The part of living is to be in the arena. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well said. Good stuff. So, uh, I want to close on this fascinating topic or point of your history that you served in both the Bush and the Obama administrations. Yeah. Give us some commonality there. Like what are some things that were true in both administrations that might survive someone who might be a, a bit surprised, but perhaps a bit partisan about their approach to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll start with a quick, a funny story that actually begins the Just Teaching book. So I was in, um, and this could have happened in either administration. So talking to a senior administra administrative official, and she, we were talking about federal policy, and she was suggesting that we needed to, this is the word she used, decomplexify education policy for teachers and administrators. And, <laughs> and I just paused for a minute, and I looked at her, and I was like, do you mean simplify? <laughs> and she, she's like, well, well, well yeah, because and I looked it up. Decomplexify is not actually a word, but it's kind of classic federal bureaucracy to create a more complicated word for simplify. So uh, as to say, that could have happened in either administration. What I found was there are people that mean well and want what's best for kids in both administrations. Yes. And so there were certainly issues that I did not agree with in different administrations. But I found the ones that I thought mattered most that I could get behind and support regardless of whether it was a quote unquote Republican or Democratic idea. So I worked a lot on teaching quality. How do we elevate and uh, make that more of a priority? So one of the things I spent time on was the teacher incentive fund. How do we change the way teachers are paid to more strategically compensate teachers so that they're able to stay in the classroom? You know, people always say teachers don't go into teaching for the money, mm. but many teachers leave because of the money because they can't make ends meet because right. the work's too hard for the compensation that's there. So I worked on a program that used a billion dollars to try to change the way we pay teachers. Now, a lot of the initiatives were not successful, but we learned a lot from the things that weren't successful. We learned a lot from the things that were. And so that was a bipartisan issue. So I tried to find things that I knew I cared about that I thought would make a difference for kids and for teachers and administrators. And I worked on those. And there were a lot of well-meaning people there. Now, they had very different ways of going about it. They had different motivation for it. But again, going back to that all truth is God's truth. If it's a good idea that's grounded in truth that leads to flourishing for kids, I'm going to get behind it. And it doesn't really matter what political party initiated it. I'm just going to ignore the things that I don't think help 
I'm going to focus on the things that do. And that's how I was able to navigate the two administrations. And it, it worked. It was a great experience for me. Wow. John, you are full of good stories and I just love your perspective and your wisdom. Thanks so much for taking time today to be a part of this podcast. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate what you're doing. Is, is there anything that our listeners can do as a follow-up to learn more about what you're doing about the Center for School Leadership there? Sure. So it's the Baylor Center for School Leadership. You can find us on the website. We actually just started a podcast uh, of our own um, that highlights just schools. How do we build communities that are built on this kind of biblical justice that uh, operate for the flourishing of all students? So we have that Just Schools podcast where we take 15 to 20 minute conversations with educators all over the country about the good stuff that's happening. So if you want a little shot in the arm, that's a good way to go. And then the book comes out in January uh, that will be the Just Teaching book. And so those are places that if you want some encouragement and hope, it's there. All right. Love the double entendre of Just Teaching, Just Schools. That's really cool right. stuff. Right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I get tired of teachers when they say they're just a teacher because they're disempowering themselves when they say that. When, right. again, there's so much power in that role and we, we have so much more we can do with that. All right. Thank you, John. Thanks for your time today. Uh, got a few things here to highlight for Invite Press, some upcoming releases. Uh, first, we'll talk about our recently just had Come Alive Proverbs. This officially came out on Amazon yesterday. It's already hit number one in the Hebrew Bible category. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. Hit that hot new release there. This is the third in our Come Alive series and the first one from the Old Testament. Uh, you can now also get the whole series as it grows in a bundle form only through inviteresources.com. So that bundle is now available on our website. Uh, also coming up, Josiah, what's uh, what's our next one there? What else do we have coming up soon? The Journal. Okay, this is a book. Uh, it's a fictionalized account based on scriptures of a woman who walks with Jesus to Jerusalem heading towards the Passion uh, there. And this has been um, ideally positioned as something that you would use either personally as devotional or with your small group in your church during the Lenten season coming up here in February, March. Um, that book is now available on our site. And then also pre-order the book I mentioned earlier, a shameless self-plug when I was talking to John there for Telos, which comes out here in a couple of weeks and is, uh, I think, just now today appearing on Amazon as pre-order. So you can get that through Invite Resources or through Amazon. We also have on pre-order George Acevedo's book, Everybody Needs Some Cave Time, Meeting God in Dark Places. George is one of my favorite people. He is a pastor in Florida and had tells us, he was on this show a few weeks ago, tells us that he has been writing this book his entire life. Uh, so there are, is some real wisdom there about what it is like to be in dark places, or maybe we use the phrase dark nights of the soul, and how surprisingly God is there too. And that book is about that. So uh, always track what we're doing on inviteresources.com. Invite Press is releading, uh, releasing a new title about once every 14 days or so. So there's a lot happening here as we move into the new year. And we will have more podcast episodes coming up. So until next time, tune in to the Live Like Jesus podcast.